Richard, Sicily, 
least you'd be able to have a conversation with me now, but yeah. Well, I have conversations with you on other topics. Yeah, well, yeah. Join me in the new ones, yeah. You're right. That's me. I'll wait for it to hit streaming and then I'll watch it. Good, yeah. But it's like, it. yeah, it's just, it's really good. Okay, folks, we're going to pick our story back up from last week. We're talking about Mary Surratt, and um, I'll, I'll say when I get into my part of the story, but I made a mistake last week in, in naming who was arrested. I said it was Azerod, and it was actually uh, Payne. Yeah. Yeah, I realized that when I wrote out the scripts for this, I was like, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Yeah. Like, All right. You're going to take right. that degree away from you. You know, yeah, right. Well, and see, my my thought was, as, as we're going to get into it, and I'll explain when we get to the part, but let me pull up my script. So, we're on April 17th. 1865. Now, I always thought that they arrested her the night of the assassination, not two days later. But it was... Right, and now that I think about it, and after reading the uh, the book Hanged the about Mary Surratt, which is a great title for a book, um, it makes more sense that they did it two days later. Because, uh, you know, they, they had the, the investigation was just starting. They didn't know who all was involved, what was going on. You're like, we're so confused. Right. It was, and that particularly that night in D.C., it was confusing. You know, you had your reports that, I mean, of course, Lincoln was assassinated. Everyone saw it who was at the theater. But then they thought Seward was dead, but Seward wasn't dead. He was saved by his medal. I wonder if that's in a museum somewhere. His metal neck brace that he had to wear from the carriage accident. I'll have to look it up sometime. But they thought he was dead. They didn't know who else in the government was, was targeted. And... I give credit where credit is due. Uh, Stanton was the only one who had a calm enough head to like really take control of the investigation and figure everything out. Yeah. And the amazing thing is, is, um, and that they don't tell you at the at the Ford's Theater Museum, but there was a guy who was staying at the Peterson House who was a, a stenographer for the Army or or one of the government departments who sat there in the parlor with Stanton doing shorthand the entire night on everyone's deposition. His pencil broke right at the moment Lincoln died. The next morning, when Stanton said now he belongs to the ages, we're not really sure he said ages. We think he said angels. Yeah, which either or would have. Right, either or would work, but yeah, we don't know because the guy's pencil broke. Yeah, 
It's like, thanks, dude. It was like, I have a backup pencil. It's like, dude, the <laughs> nobody one around. Like the one moment we needed your pencil to work. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh well. So <clears throat> the police arrested everyone in the house, regardless of their guilt. Um. By the 17th, many Americans had opened their papers to believe that John Jr. had tried to assassinate Secretary of State Seward, but John was in Canada at the time of the attempt. Mary was brought to General Augur's office and taken into an interrogation room. The mystery man was taken into another room. The mystery man was identified by one of Seward's servants as the man who attacked Seward, Lewis Powell, who also went by pain, but, you know... I'm pretty sure he whipped out like a one of those folding um, wallets with different IDs in it. But he he had slept in a ditch for a couple nights after because the guy I think it was Harold who was supposed to be with him at Seward's place. When Harold heard all the commotion going on in the house, he's like, "I'm out of here. Screw you. I'm gone." So that's why Powell never made it to the rendezvous point, and he kind of wandered around D.C. for a couple of days. Now, the notes from the interrogation, which are now being held at the National Archives, follow no real set rhythm, making it difficult to follow. Mary confirmed her son knew John Wilkes Booth and was surprised to hear he assassinated the president. She denied all the claims made against her, and after her interrogation, she was taken to the old Capitol prison. It was Lloyd's interrogation on April 22nd that doomed Mary. Two days after his after Booth's death, Mary was questioned again. Now, during that time, the other conspirators, Azrod, Powell, and Lloyd, had been arrested and questioned. The investigators began to piece together the many threads of the events of April 14th. But Mary's story never wavered. The investigators did not believe that she was as innocent as she claimed. President Johnson declared that the conspirators would be tried before a military tribunal, not a civil court. The reason behind this was the government believed the assassination was an act of war. And the decision was controversial today as it was in 1865. The main problem was the court's purpose was to convict, was basically to convict everyone. None of the eight conspirators would be found innocent. On May 8th, when the decision was made, General Hart Tramp read the charges before the eight conspirators in their cell. Mary's was different in saying that she received, entertained, harbored, and concealed, aid and assisted the said John Wilkes Booth, David Harold, Louis Payne, John Surratt Jr., Michael O'Loughlin, George Azrod, Samuel Arnold, and their Confederates with knowledge of the murderous and traitorous conspiracy, and to aid, abet, and assist them in the execution thereof and escaping from justice. Uh, we don't know what her reaction was to these charges. On May 10th, the eight conspirators were brought in before the tribunal. Mary and Dr. Mudd did not wear hoods. The other six men had their hoods removed and stood before 
Brigadier General Joseph Holt, the Judge Advocate General of the trial. During the arraignment, all eight said that they were not guilty. The tribunal ruled no reporters in the courtroom. Holt would go over the testimony each night and decide what was sent to the papers. Mary hired Reverend D. Johnson to be her attorney. The prosecution had a month to prepare their case. Mary's lawyer had less than 48 hours. Gotta love that. Yeah. Reverend D. Johnson did what he could, but a verbal spat with the tribunal left him leaving the courtroom, only appearing twice before the end of the case, leaving his associates, Frederick Aiken and John Clampett, to handle the day-to-day proceedings. Come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. Oh, wait, Ron Clampett. Well, John, it could have been, you know, nickname Jed, right? I'm, I'm hoping it was. <laughs> the one day Mary needed Reverend D's help was on May 13th. The evidence against Mary was heard that day. Lois Wakeman and John Lloyd were called in that day to give their testimonies. Both men stuck to their stories, proving Mary had enough time to learn what was going on, but no proof existed. The evidence and testimony were circumstantial at best. Two days later, both men returned to the courtroom and Johnson was there to defend Mary. Johnson proved that although Wakeman was sitting next to... Sorry. Ooh, Mary. You could not hear or remember the conversation with Lloyd. When Lloyd took the stand, he corrected himself on the dates he gave in his testimony. It was April 11th, not the 8th. And he received the bundle on the afternoon of the 14th. Aiken used this moment to cast doubt on Lloyd's testimony. While Lloyd avoided answering the question, it did little to her defense. Wakeman took the stand and said John Jr. knew Booth. When asked if he reported this to his superior at the War Department, he said he did. But they figured it was blockade running and not an assassination attempt. It was a low-priority report. The damage had been done. Dun, dun, dun. The trial continued against Mary until May 23rd. On the 25th, her lawyers began their defense. They called witnesses to testify about her character and that she would never be a part of such a terrible crime. Oh, despite hell no. Her, yeah, despite their best efforts, it was no good. The trial against Mary ended on June 29th when her lawyers gave their closing arguments. On June 29th, the tribunal ordered Mary Surratt to die by hanging. Six of the nine members of the tribunal voted for death, but they could not agree fully. Holt gave them a compromise, execution with a petition to the president for a clemency. Mary would have been the first woman executed by the government, and some of the men did not want that to happen. They said you was hung, and they was mm-hmm. right. Yep. Oh, it's just my, one of my favorite lines from... Uh, trying to think blazing saddles yeah. which is also referenced in barbie just want to say so yeah. it is it is so <laughs> yeah told you you would like it oh, okay there's a blazing saddles reference was it the beans or oh boys look at what i have here you'll just have to watch it uh-huh <laughs> Okay, the clemency plea was sent along with the paperwork for Johnson to sign. But he was sick until July 6th. When he signed the execution order, 
He would not he would not grant Mary clemency. That day, General Hardfrant brought Mary the news, which basically boiled down to guilt by association. She was to still die by hanging. The prisoners could hear the scaffold being built outside of their cells because they were they were being executed the very next day. I mean, they, they wanted this done quick. There would be no appeals. <clears throat> Sorry. So Aiken, Clampett, and Holt did their best to persuade Johnson, but he was adamant that she died with the other three. At two in the morning, Aiken and Clampett telegraphed Reverendy to get his advice. Now, he suggested to come up with a writ of habeas corpus and get a judge to sign off on it. This would remove Mary from the military tribunal to a civil court, so the men wrote it and found Judge Wiley at, in his home. They pleaded their case, and the judge agreed and signed the writ. At four o'clock in the morning, they appeared in the courtroom. General Winfield Scott, along with Attorney General Joshua Speer, Speer, Joshua Speed, appeared with a paper from the president stating that the writ of habeas corpus had been suspended in regard to Mary Surratt. She was going to die. While this was happening, Powell was at the prison declaring her innocence. His statement had been taken down and sent to the White House, but once again, Johnson refused to budge on the matter. At 12.15, Mary received the sacraments, and I don't know what she would get for the sacraments. Uh, uh, probably uh, probably uh, Holy Communion. And that'd be my guess as a Catholic. She'd probably get um, Holy Communion. At 1240, she said her last goodbyes to her daughter. Now, she was escorted with Powell, Harold, and Ezra to the gallows. Next to the gallows were four freshly dug graves, one for each, each of the sentenced to die. The officials were praying that Johnson would prevent the death of of Mary Surratt, but it was not the D. Now, if you look at the pictures from this day, because there was a photographer up in a building across the way. Um, Mary is on, it'd be, look, if you're looking at the picture, she's on the left with an umbrella over her because they were shading her from the sun because, as we all know, D.C. can get hot in the summer. And even when they were getting ready to put the, the noose around her neck, they, they tied, the executioner tied the noose in a certain way. He didn't do like the full 13 coils. I guess his hands were getting tired, but um, he, they, they were like, really, we're going to do this? And they're like, yep, president said so. So they put the hood over her head and she started to swoon, and her last words were, don't let me fall, hold on. At 2 p.m., the signal's given, the men below hit the support beam, and all four people fell to their death. Mary Surratt was the first woman executed by the federal government. And as they were, you know, they, they let them hang there for, I think they, the book said 20 minutes. 
And then the, then they're like, okay, you know, cut them down. Well, one of the guys, I, I, I was trying to make a spectacle out of it, and he, the commanding officer was like, no, we, we're not playing that. Cut them down. And then they started cutting the, the rope into pieces. And you didn't start playing them like marionettes or anything? I would have, but that's just me. But no, uh, they cut like um, if, if you go to the Peterson house and do the museum that talks about the Booth's escape route, there's a, a display there that's got four pieces of rope from the four who are hung. That's because the guy, the guys were cutting the ropes into pieces and passing out the grim souvenirs. Um, also, their names were placed on the casket so they knew. In some weird case, you know, should these bodies eventually be turned over to their families, they would know who was who. So there was no, you know, no mistake in, in giving the person the wrong body. But you were lucky enough to see Mrs. Surratt's grave. Yep. Yeah, back in the spring. You know, one day when I do, when I go to D.C., if I go with you or if I go alone, I'm going to go see it. Yeah, it was actually it was pretty easy to find. So that part was good. Right. Um, I don't know. I'm going to have to look up and see where I know where Booth is buried. Yeah. Um, I want to see where the other, where the three guys who hung with Mrs. Surratt were buried. I could look, I could look it up and see if mm -hmm. um, they say where, but I'd like to know. Maybe go do a, a Lincoln assassination funeral tour. That'd be cool. Hey, well, I mean, I would still like to take you guys, take you and uh, James and your mom to um the Lincoln's tomb here in Springfield. With it, like I've seen all of them. So, well, I've, we've now seen, I guess, even the. James has probably seen all the assassinated presidents except for Lincoln, same as me now. Though. Right. Because I can tell you... Bill McKinley, Kennedy, Ooh. and Lincoln. Well, I've seen Kennedy. I mean... Well, yeah, but I'm saying those are... It's, it was four, right? Garfield. Yeah, Garfield, McKinley. Yeah, there was four who were assassinated. Yeah, so we've seen them all now, except for Lincoln. Um... If you were to come to this, Springfield's like a two-hour drive for me. Mm -hmm. But to see the main Lincoln stuff, like the house, the museum. Yeah. Um, if you want to see the old Capitol and his tomb, you can do it in a day. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically, he was 13 months old when he saw McKinley. So it's not like he remembers it. Right. But no, the stuff in Springfield is like real easy to get to. Mm -hmm. Um, the house is like two blocks away from the museum. The museum's like a block north of the uh, mm -hmm. um, old state capitol. The 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 cemetery is like a five minute drive from downtown. It's all relatively easy to get to in Springfield. I would be happy to show you all one day. Yay. 
But we're going to wrap up this one on Mrs. Surratt. And I still think, you know, what, what exactly did she know? Was it, did she know the kidnapping turned into a murder? I don't know. But guilt by association is what they got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one day in D.C., I will go to her house and have some uh, shrimp chops or some shrimp fried rice. Yep. Yummy. Maybe I could sit with my co-host in that restaurant one day and have a nice Chinese meal. Maybe. <laughs> All right, folks, you know where to find us. You know, find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple. Oh, man, my, my dinner's kicking back on me tonight, folks. And for Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs, I'm Scotty J. Say goodnight, Monica. Goodnight, Monica. <laughs>